Our scripture this morning is from the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'll be reading verses 1 through 14. I actually uh, like to print out my copy of it because I like it in a little bigger font, so don't think I'm not reading from the Bible just because you don't see me open it. But I would encourage you to turn there if you have your own Bibles. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. I think we have it on the screen. Hear God's word, which says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but sharing, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Let's pray together. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word which you have entrusted to us. We thank you that it encapsulates the coming of Christ and his redemptive work for us and has been entrusted to us now to pass on as this powerful transforming message which can transform our lives our communities, our world. And so we pray that you would once again light the fire of the gift you have put in us, that we may be people who go out into this week in order to share your word in both what we say and in how we live. All this we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. A life of Christian faith evokes many different kinds of emotions. And as we read our text this morning, we get a sense of that. As Christian believers, we move from one stage of life to another, and each one of those movements can bring certain kinds of feelings. The Apostle Paul was, of course, in the final stage of his life. We think he was likely put to death after the period of time during which he wrote this book to his son in the faith, this man called Timothy. And so, in the Apostle Paul's mind, the end of his life is near, 
And likely he felt a certain zeal, a certain passion, certain energy to pass things on at this stage. In our text, Paul refers to his partner Timothy as a person who is fearful, as a person who is shedding tears. And we can only speculate what it was that made Timothy shed tears and feel fear in this situation. Very possibly it was the fact that he was going to leave Paul behind in prison. Maybe he felt distress over the fact that this person who was his spiritual mentor and a father figure was being treated like a criminal. Or maybe Timothy was feeling fear and shedding some tears over the fact that once the Apostle Paul was gone, the responsibility for carrying on the ministry of the gospel, especially to the ends of the earth as Paul was doing, was going to fall to him. And so maybe there was a concern about what that responsibility would mean. Now the Christian faith always gets passed on, doesn't it? One of the reasons we gather here and worship is so that we can pass it on to the next generation. And the Christian faith is passed on not just from individual to individual, like from Paul to Timothy, but from a community to individuals, from a community to our children, uh, from a community to our neighbors. For some of us, uh, faith was nurtured in the context of family. That certainly was true for me. For others of us, in, a, in the context of a church, if we didn't have a, a large immediate family or a believing family. And so for others, perhaps, it was nurtured among a group of friends. Now, when we must part from that community that led us to faith, it can awaken fears and tears. I still remember leaving my home for boarding school when I was in 10th grade, and I felt a great deal of fear to leave that little community of people that had helped nurture me in the faith. I know I've had friends who, uh, when they had to leave the college group that, had to, that helped nurture their faith, as people graduated, they, they felt fear and they shed some tears over it would mean not to have that supportive community. As a pastor, I've had the unfortunate experience of having to sit with a group of believers from a church which had gotten to the point where it could no longer continue and seeing the tears and the fears that those individuals expressed at that time of party. And so Timothy's fears may have come from similar kinds of fears. But then the Apostle Paul engages in some recollection and some reflection in order to strengthen Timothy. He recalls that this faith has deep roots that it lived first in his grandmother and then in his mother. And Paul seems to be in something of a nostalgic mood as he writes this, these words. He speaks to Timothy about remembering. He reminds him of many things. And of course, this isn't just nostalgia, because we know that in Scripture, in books like Deuteronomy, God himself caused to his people to remember all that he has done for them. And this is repeated at different points. Because it is in remembering that God is at work in the communities that brought us to faith and in us ourselves that we are going to gain our strength. Because our focus and our faith is finally not in ourselves or not in our communities, but in the power of God. And so Paul, as he does his reflection, doesn't simply remember what is gone and lost. Paul remembers the power of God's grace in the past which continues to have effects in the present. And so Paul's first words are words of thanks to God, the God of his forefathers, the God of many generations of believers before him. And then Paul also gives thanks to Timothy 
who represents that generation, who's going to carry on the faith after Paul himself is gone. What Paul sees in Timothy is evidence of the faithfulness of God. Paul is in prison, but God has given him a spiritual son who is going to continue the ministry that God had given to Paul to begin. And so Paul remembers Timothy's sincere faith. That faith that lived first by the grace of God, his grandmother Lois and then his mother Eunice and now in Timothy himself. Now I as a pastor, and perhaps you, have seen the hand-me-down faith. The faith that lasts as long as your mom or dad send you to Sunday school and when they're no longer sending you, well, you just don't go. Or maybe the faith that lasts as long as you're under mom and dad's roof or benefiting from their checkbook and when that's no longer the case, then you go your own way and neglect your spiritual heritage. Or maybe that faith that lasts as long as, as mom or grandma is alive. Maybe even into middle age and then when mom or grandma who always encouraged you to go to church and be faithful is gone, well, you just kind of wander away. Was that a sincere faith? A faith that would evaporate that easily? Paul is persuaded that Timothy possesses a sincere faith, the genuine article. And this conviction is the basis of the advice that he goes on to give. Because unless there is sincere faith in the life of a person, there's no point in urging that person on to faithfulness. There has to be a live coal in the heart of the soul in order for someone to be able to fan it into flame once again. But live coals, as we know, can get buried in ashes. And the ashes of fear can bury the live coal of faith. This can happen when our faith has come to us through a long process of Christian nurture. Maybe we've depended too much on others, too much on our parents to uphold the faith, or our grandparents, or our church, or somebody else. And we've just kind of let our own faith get kind of covered over, buried under that ash where it's hardly even visible. Now this is possible, I think, for those who grow up in a protected environment of Christian homes and Christian churches and Christian schools. That coating of ash may, may keep us from having the boldness to share our faith out in the workplace or out in school or where we interact with other people. People I've known who were converted as adults always just seem more on fire and more passionate and more bold in the sharing of their faith. And maybe you've had that experience as well. The most confident people about their faith were people who once lived a life that totally contradicted the Christian faith. And so I've asked myself, you know, why is this? Why are these people so on fire and so energized? Well, I think it's because they tasted a life of faithlessness. They knew what it was like to live a life of immorality or breaking the commands of God. And they had discovered firsthand that it was unsatisfying. It was empty. It was a dead-end street. And so they were on fire. In fact, I was just talking to a couple that we just received into our church who had had this experience of really getting on fire. They said, man, we moved into a new neighborhood and people were starting to drop in and we were so on fire about sharing our faith that some of them we've scared off permanently. 
So there's one guy down the street who 20 years later still won't talk to us because we were just so on fire. Well, some of us who have grown up in the faith are, can be rather jealous at times of that sort of zeal. Maybe we haven't had the same deep experience of contrast, of being without the grace of God and then having it, of being truly thirsty and then finally getting water. We've always had water. We've always had food. It's hard to appreciate what you've always had, isn't it? Paul had experienced himself a dramatic conversion, and so boldness seemed to come naturally to him. But from what we read in his letter to Timothy, Timothy was more timid. He hadn't had that dramatic experience. Remember, his, his faith had been nurtured gradually. Timothy was what we might call a hothouse plant. And I've heard people say that to me in the context of the church. Well, uh, you know, you people who are always in the church, and those of you especially who go to Christian schools, you're hothouse plants. Now that, that's not a compliment, isn't it? Kind of make it sound like you're weak and you're timid. But you know, hothouse plants can have some very special qualities. Some of the most beautiful flowers, some of the most delicious and productive fruits or vegetables often get their start in the hothouse. But there comes a time when the hothouse plant has to go out into the garden. And then, for those of you who are gardeners, you know you have to harden that plant. You have to expose it to some cold in order for it to be able to thrive. But sometimes you do that gradually. That's what Paul is doing with Timothy. He's urging Timothy here, and now we're going to switch to metaphor, not to let the ashes of fear smother the fire that God has put at the center of his soul. And so in essence, Paul is saying something like, you know, Timothy, I know your faith is sincere. I'm, I'm persuaded of that. But you must now fan into flame the gift that God has given you. You can't just let it lie dormant. In order to, for it to be effective, the wind of the Spirit has to blow on it so that you can go out and do the work of God in the world. For those of us who are raised in Christian homes and churches and schools, that is the continuing challenge. To fan into flame the gift that is in us. And as we think about beginning a, a new church year, as we think about going a new direction with our church year, where we each have to think very sincerely about that. We need to fan into flame God's gift. The important thing to remember is that this is a gift from God. Paul says, the gift which is in you because of the laying on of my hands, but that gift wasn't something that Paul could convey. That laying on of hands was simply a, an external sign or symbol of something that God had already given. And so that ought to be our confidence. When we think about fanning the thing in the flame, this is something God has given me. It's got potential. It's got power. The gift of God given to Timothy was to be used to pass on the gospel of grace. We can never forget what the fundamental task is. We are trying to pass on this most precious gift that God has ever given to us or to any human being. 
this blessed acceptance in Christ, this, this affirmation that because of what Christ has done for us, we are accepted and we are loved and we are secure and we have the most wonderful future ahead of us that anybody could ever have and nothing will be able to snatch us out of God's hand. That is the fundamental foundation of this gospel. That's what we are being called to share. But there's something inhibiting us at times, isn't there? We've all felt it. Seems like Timothy was inhibited by shyness, a lack of courage, some kind of fear. But Paul challenges that fear in him and in us. And that challenge comes in verse 7, where in the NIV, I like the way they put it, it says, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid but gives us power and love and self-discipline. Unhealthy fear in sharing our faith is the devil's tool. He wants us to keep quiet. But the problem is, if we give in to the fear, we become more afraid. Remember what God had said to Jeremiah? You know, if you're afraid of these people, because Jeremiah didn't want to speak God's word to the people of his time, he says, I'll make you more afraid. But if you push back against fear and you are bold and you take God's power that he has given you, you will actually become more courageous. You will become more confident as the Holy Spirit takes your gift and begins to use it and you see the effect that it can have in your family, in your church, in your community. We don't have to submit to fear. We can discipline ourselves to overcome it because God is with us. And it is his gift that is at the heart of our life. If we have sincere faith, we have a gift that can be fanned into flame. The Holy Spirit is the wind that blows on that coal of sincere faith. That gift that God has given brings it into something that can be used for effective ministry. The biggest obstacle that we face often in using our gift in order to bless others and bring glory to God is the fear of being shamed. Have you ever looked up that word? What is shame? Shame is the fear that we will lose the respect of others. So we're afraid that we make it known that we're a Christian or we try to share our faith in Christ that others will lose respect for us. Why might they do that? Well, kind of this guy out there that faith is something for children. You just get older and wiser that you don't need faith in God anymore. Maybe our own lives aren't the perfect example of what a Christian should be, and so we feel that if we share the gospel somehow, that people will say, well, look at you, you know, what has it done for you? That's why Paul has to say, but we preach not ourselves. But that fear, that, that fear of being shamed, of losing the respect of others, is something that sometimes can inhibit us. But Paul urges Timothy not to be ashamed to testify about his Lord. But Paul knew that in a society where godlessness and faithlessness were admired, that, that Timothy might be afraid. And the same applies to us. But we can't forget that what we are talking about here is something that has the power of God behind it. 
And when we truly allow our lives and our voices to be used to promote this, that it's going to have a power that we are going to be amazed to witness. Being willing to speak about our faith requires a willingness to suffer. Because it is true that there may be people who are going to disrespect us. There are going to be people, when they hear us open our mouth about the Christian faith and about Christ, may be hostile to us. But this is what Christians have faced in every generation. As one person said to me recently, this is the path. But so often we want to take another one, don't we? An easier one. But think of what Timothy had to face. His pastor was in jail. And we can think, well, you know, everybody understood he was there for a noble cause. No, most people would think, you're in jail. You must have committed a terrible crime. So Paul has to tell Timothy, don't be ashamed of me as a representative of Christ, suffering as I am for the gospel. Paul reminds Timothy of the message that God has entrusted to us. It's very important, once again, just to get this little synopsis in our head and he sees the importance of giving it to Timothy at this point. He says, remember, this message which we are trying to pass on is that God has saved us from the punishment that our sins deserve. Remember, God has called us to a holy life to live righteously, avoid sin. He has called us not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. He says this grace was given to us in Christ before the beginning of time, but was revealed when Christ appeared. And he says, this plan of God has brought life and immortality to light. What is it that every person fears? To die. What is it that everybody wants? To live forever. This is the message that has come in the person of Christ. If you wanted to talk to somebody about the gospel, this text from Timothy would give you a little outline. It puts God at the center. We cannot save ourselves. It's from God from beginning to end. With God offering salvation, we can look forward to a life that will never end. What makes sharing the gospel difficult with Americans and in American society is that the good parts had become part of universal belief. The idea that God forgives sin. Everybody believes that. That we're going to go to a better place when we die. Everybody believes that. What's rejected? Christ. That Christ is the path to this. The idea that we have to live a holy life after we have made a commitment to God. Still others shrink from this call to testify without shame and to suffer in the effort to spread the gospel. American society has become so comfortable that we just want a comfortable faith, right? We want something effortless, pain-free, easy. Yet Paul, who calls himself a preacher, apostle, teacher of the gospel, reminds us that it's not going to be easy, effortless, or pain-free. In fact, what he says here is this, of this gospel, I am a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. But as you read this, you get the sense he is not 
despairing. He may be suffering. He's not despairing. He may be suffering, but he's not defeated. He may be suffering, but he is not down. He says, I may be suffering, but I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed, and here I'm quoting the NIV again, and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What had Paul entrusted to Christ? Everything. His reputation, his life, his efforts, everything. And he was convinced that on that day, that final judgment day, when we are all going to stand before the throne of God to give an account of our life, he will be unashamed. And this makes a very important point. When it comes to being ashamed, we should really only be concerned about one person. And that is about God. When we finally stand before God, will we be unashamed to say, I drew on the power of your Holy Spirit in order to be bold in speaking about you and giving witness to Christ. We shouldn't be afraid of anybody else's opinion except for the opinion of God when we stand before him on the last day. Paul's last word of instruction in this text has to do with the temptation to change the message. During Paul's time, there were people who tried to change the message to make it more appealing to people. Ever seen that done with the gospel? There's two ways of doing this, and they were both present in Paul's time. There were some people who said, you know, this gospel's too easy. What? Salvation by grace? Free forgiveness? No way. I mean, let's add some rules. You know, you better get circumcised, you know, certain rules for the Sabbath. You know, don't eat these kinds of meat. Let's bring those in again from the Old Testament, impose them on people. Then we'll have a real religion. Legalism and every kind of version of Christianity that's been turned into legalism fits there. Let's make it stricter for the people who are really tough. You know, this isn't for wimps. This is a religion for Marines. And then you get the other side. It's like, no, let's make it easier. This, this gospel, what is, with its call to a holy life after you've received grace, that's just too demanding. Let's just have something like, love God and do whatever you want. And of course, there are people in our time who are still practicing that, trying to promote a gospel that, you know, has no moral demands. Paul tells Timothy to keep the pattern of sound teaching. He says, keep faith and love together. You see, what is the law of Christ? Love. Love God above all. Love your neighbors yourself. That's the fulfillment of the law. That is what's to be put together in this faith by which we receive the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is how you guard the message that is entrusted to us. This is how we go forward without fearing that people will disrespect us in any way or reject this message. We shouldn't try to change the message in order to deal with those possible problems. And we can only do this, Paul says, with the help of the Holy Spirit who is in us. In November of 1996, a hijacked Ethiopian airliner ran out of fuel. The plane was hijacked in Kenya, I believe, was The hijackers wanted to go to Australia. They explained to the hijackers that there wasn't enough fuel to get to Australia. The hijackers didn't believe them and insisted they keep flying. They ran out of fuel. 
They were just off the coast of Africa over the Indian Ocean near the Comoros Islands. And so the plane was going to go down. The pilot let people know he was going to try to land the plane in the water. As that plane went down, and as that was announced to the people, they became, as you can imagine, very upset. But a passenger stood up and spoke to the people. And in the course of speaking, he presented the gospel and invited people to respond. There was a flight attendant who survived that crash and said about 20 people responded. The name of this person was Andrew Meekins, and he was an elder. In a Christian church in the capital city of Ethiopia. He didn't make it. But his final words were courageous words, sharing the gospel with these people in his plane. Now imagine that Meekins could have allowed in that terrible moment his mind to be filled with his own anxieties, but instead he put all those aside and he fanned into flame the gift that was in him and shared the gospel with these dying people. He was a dying man speaking to dying people. And this morning, so am I, and so are you. All of us here will die. That's the only certain truth that I could say this morning about each one of us. All the people we share our home with will die. All the people we work with will die. We need to give that some thought. That ought to be one of the things that motivates us to fan and to flame the gift that is in us. Because when we do, we will share the only message, the only antidote to this fact that we are going to die. Only Christ has brought life and immortality to light. So as you go into this week, fan into flame the gift that is in you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the precious gift of the gospel. And we thank you for the gift that you have placed in each one of us to share that gospel in some way, by word or deed, with others. And so we pray that we would allow the Holy Spirit to breathe into us so that this gift may once again burst into flame and that we may be used by you to shine your light upon others. All this we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen.